0: We heard Moses tell the Israelites today, love the Lord your God, walk in his ways, keep his commandments, his statutes, and his ordinances. Amen. My dear Christian friends, perhaps you know someone who suffers from PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. PTSD can often affect uh, soldiers and frontline workers like police officers, firefighters, medical personnel. Symptoms of PTSD can include physical pain, nightmares or flashbacks, depression or anxiety, withdrawal, avoidance, repression, guilt, or shame. But maybe you didn't realize that PTSD can also affect ordinary people who have suffered through extraordinary trauma. People can suffer PTSD from the loss of a spouse, a child, or a parent to death, or maybe that they are the survivors of a breast cancer or a heart attack after experiencing a natural disaster, a physical assault, or refugee displacement. I was reading a book this week that noted that the same trauma that can cause post-traumatic Traumatic uh, disorder can also have the opposite effect on people. That this trauma can also then do the opposite and cause growth in people. And psychologists have called this post-traumatic growth. Surely you've heard the maxim, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Psychologist Richard Tedeschi explains it has only been in the last 25 years or so that this phenomenon, the possibility of something emerging from the struggle with something very difficult has been the focus of systemic theorizing and empirical investigation. Well, I'm glad that psychologists are just now figuring out that good things can happen from bad things because we as Christians have known that for a very long time. We know that we have a God who has a plan to work some really bad things out to become very good things. For St. Paul assures us, for we know that God works all things for the good of those who love him. Jesus, in our gospel lesson, talks about traumatic events that can happen to us as we follow him. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brother and sister, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Your friends leaving you, your family members not wanting anything to do with you because of your Christianity suffering, Degradation, humiliation, persecution, imprisonment, and even death because you're a Christian. Those are all traumatic events. Jesus is not talking about minor inconveniences here. He's not referencing you losing your Twitter account or your Facebook posts or having your family upset at you or even you losing your civil rights. This is, you. this is you no longer having your son speak to you because you have tried calling him to repentance for moving in with his girlfriend. This is, your, this is you getting fired because you don't give in to the nonsense of calling people by their preferred pronouns. This is your college student having to decide whether she is going to keep her head down and her mouth shut in her woke classrooms, or if she is going to speak up and speak the truth and love and know that she is going to be ostracized for that. This is you having your parental rights removed because you refuse to allow your child to Transition to another gender. This is you being swatted because you are an advocate speaking out strongly of the abuse of the entire transgender movement. And if you don't know what swatting is, it's when people make a false call to nine one one, having the police come to your house, hoping that there will then be trauma. This is your church where you worship or the pregnancy counseling center where you volunteer being defaced or broken into or firebombed because they are strong advocates for being pro-life. These are traumatic events. These are difficult times. These are just a few examples of carrying a cross for Christ. And Jesus warns that about these traumatic events because he knows the kind of people we are. He knows that we are lukewarm Christians, timid Christians, neuter Christians, unsalty Christians. We are the kind of Christians who take weeks off of worship. Maybe an entire summer off of worship. We are the kind of people who are so lazy that we will not even get up to change the channel on the TV when the batteries run out in our remote. So how can we be the kind of people who are expected to stand up strong against the enemies of Christ coming against us daily? We prefer lukewarm Shallow and hollow Christianity. A religion that is easy, that doesn't take a lot of work, that doesn't expect too much, that doesn't cost too much or hurt too much. We like a Christianity that we can boil down to one hour once a week. A Christianity that allows us to do pretty much whatever our sinful nature wants to do the rest of the week. A Christianity that allows us to keep quiet in our culture, keep our heads down and our mouths shut in the workplace or on the school campus. A Christianity that uh, just looks the other way as our society continues to promote the doctrine of demons with transgenderism and critical race theory and abortion on demand. But that's not true Christianity. And our world sees through our shallowness and our holiness, or, our hollowness. It sees that our faith is lacking in all of these ways. It sees that we prefer an easy Christianity. And easy doesn't mean better, it just means lazy. In a time of persecution throughout the history of Christianity, People have flocked to become Christians during that time of persecution. There's persecution going on now, so why don't we see Christians, people flocking to Christianity? Perhaps it's because they're having a hard time finding authentic, devout Christians. Jesus also sees through our lazy and lukewarm faith, and Jesus demands the opposite. With Jesus, there is no middle ground. If you're looking for easy, then Jesus says and you need to go looking elsewhere. Either you give it all up or you give up being a disciple. You're either in or you're out. You are either a salty, cross-caring disciple and follower of Jesus or you are an unsalty couch potato that is headed for the manure pile. Salt is good. But if the salt has lost its flavor, how will it become salty again? It is not fit for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. To drive the point home, Jesus shares a number of rhetorical parables about counting the cost. Because what person starts building a tower without figuring out whether he has enough money to complete the project? What king decides to go off to war without first Counting how many soldiers he has versus how many soldiers the opposing king has. Jesus summarizes the point of these parables saying, So then, any one of you who does not say farewell to all of his possessions cannot be my disciple. So either you give it all up for Jesus, your family, your friends, your possessions, even your own life, or you cannot be his disciple. St. Augustine puts it succinctly, Christ is not valued at all unless he is valued above all. And Jesus is warning us about these traumatic events that are in our present and can be in our future. But can you be the kind of disciple that Jesus wants? Who of you, after hearing what Jesus expects of you, is so eager to raise your hand and sign up on the dotted line? Look at us. We are afraid. We are lazy. We want everything to be easy. We have to admit it. We cannot be the kind of disciples that Jesus desires. And yet, What Jesus desires, Jesus always does. Jesus desires us to be his cross-carrying disciples. He doesn't force us to be his cross-carrying disciples. But once the Holy Spirit has converted us to faith, we don't volunteer to carry a cross. Instead, Jesus decides to put a cross on us. He creates faithful disciples. He changes us into committed Christians. In our text, Jesus is headed up to Jerusalem to go to the cross, to lay down his life, to become the atoning sacrifice as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. From eternity, he has already counted the cost of that cross. Jesus has run the numbers in collaboration with the Father and the Spirit, and he knows that he is already willing to have his Father forsake him on On Golgotha, he lays the foundation for the entire Christian church built upon his death and resurrection. He is the king of kings who is going into battle against the prince of this world. He is the lion of Judah going up against the red seven-headed dragon of the devil. The lion's angels are on one side and the dragon's demonic forces are on the other. And while the crowds were coming to Jesus to beg for miracles and divine favors, Jesus is about to carry out the miracle of the divine dying on a cross of the Lord of life, dying a very human death. And while Jesus knows that you and I are going to continue to beg for him for divine miracles, asking for an easier life and for a lot less stress, Jesus goes to the cross to be able to bring about an eternal life that will always be easy and there will never be any kind of stress. Jesus knows how hard it is for you to renounce your family, your friends, your freedom, and your very lives. And that's why Jesus renounced his friends, his family, his freedom, glory, power, and his own life. He did it to save us, to save you. Jesus counted the cost of your salvation and he decided that you were worth it. Knowing this. Now we pray that the Holy Spirit uses this trauma to create in us post-traumatic growth. Like the former alcoholic who had lost his family because of booze, now he is at the AA meetings and counseling men so that they don't make the same mistake. Like the, like the wounded veteran who leads other wounded veterans to remain active and encouraging them. Like the woman who, when she was younger and scared and pregnant, gave up her baby to abortion. And now she is the biggest pro-life advocate working with other young, timid women so that they keep their babies The Lord uses these traumatic events for growth for better, stronger encouragers and advocates. As a post traumatic growth Christian, you are willing to give up your money and your possessions because you've already been given a kingdom. Because what heir of a king? tries to hoard all kinds of stuff because he or she already has everything that they need for this life and the life to come. As a post-traumatic growth Christian, you can be willing to give up your family and put God first because God has already given you a new family, a new family that includes the saints and the martyrs that have come before us. A new family, not built on blood or DNA, but built on the waters of baptism and the blood of the Son of God. A post-traumatic growth Christian, you can give up your freedom and your life because Jesus Christ has freed you from your sin and given you a new life. He has given you a new life, a new life that is as a faithful follower a dedicated disciple, and a committed Christian. Jesus does not demand that you be his disciple. And there's no bait and switch, no fine print, no sticky stipulations. Jesus is very honest and upfront with what he expects of you. This is not reality TV where there really isn't any reality. Jesus is telling you about True reality. And that reality is hard. Admit it. We want to live in a fantasy world, but Jesus calls you to live in a real world. A real world that hates Christ and hates Christians. But Jesus calls you to give up the old and make-believe life for a real life that Christ says is going to be hard. But it's a new life, a better life, an eternal life. A life filled with trauma. But we pray that the Holy Spirit uses this trauma for growth. Growth in you. Growth in your family. Growth in your family's faith. Growth in God's kingdom. Amen.